You're listening to the Boots Off Podcast. This is episode number one, released just in time for Veterans Day weekend. So happy Veterans Day and thank you to all who have served because that's what this concept is all about. This is where you can come to hear stories from veterans about going into the military, experiences they've had along the way, and then ultimately how they transitioned to find success in the civilian world. So let's jump to it. The first guest you'll hear from on Boots Off is a good friend of mine, one of the kindest people I've ever known, and as you'll find out, he's incredibly loyal. There are times when I just let him loose to speak because he's so interesting to listen to, and I guarantee you'll learn a thing or two from him here today. So he joined the Air Force a little later in life than most, which could be a good idea for a lot of people, and he served his four years in a dream job absolute dream job in japan he hosted a morning radio show in tokyo for four hours a day and uh, not many people expect that when they enlist in the military you know what i mean he also served a deployment in afghanistan prior to separating and now he's a territory manager at rj reynolds out in oregon thanks for listening this is kellen carr We were in Japan when I thought about this podcast, and I think I talked to you about it. Originally, asked if you'd wanted to be on, right? You know, if there's anybody who can represent the truth of themselves, of their experiences, and at the same time give advice to people in those same situations, it's Kellen. So we'll start way back, and you grew up in Joplin, Missouri, right? And how did how did you find your way into the Air Force from there? So, you know, Joplin, Missouri, uh, you know, you're talking rural area. Honestly, I didn't, I never had like a pension. Like it wasn't like I was like overly patriotic or anything like that. Um, but it was 9-11. I mean, that was the first time in my life that I ever thought anything about joining the military, you know? Uh, and it was honestly, it was, it was Pat Tillman's story. You see a guy who went from multi-millionaire football player, like stud football player. And then he's like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to walk away from this and I'm going to sign up for the army, you know? And uh, I mean, I was, a, I was a sophomore in high school, but that was the first time I ever thought anything about the military. And then my senior year after doing the, um, oh, oh, what's, I keep wanting to say ASVAB. It is the ASVAB, isn't it? To get in? Yeah. Right. So after doing the ASVAB, the Air Force was actually the first branch that called me. They were the first ones that called, they called the house. It was like, it was a recruiter, United States Air Force, not knowing anything about the military. Uh, I just thought that was so cool. I was like, dude, the Air Force called my house, like wanting to talk to me, like, I, you know, not knowing anything. So from that point, I was, I was loyal to the Air Force, even though I didn't join for another eight years. It was later in life. Like you went to college, right? Before. Right. So yeah, I graduated uh, 2003. Uh, I went to school at Grambling State University down in Louisiana, um, I wanted to get away from home. I was at that time I was debating. I was like, do I go military or do I go to college? Right. 2003, Iraq and Afghanistan, both wars are popping off. My family's like, you're not going to the military. You need to go get your education. You don't need to join. You know, if you want to join the military, do it later. It's not going anywhere. It's a war right now. You need to go to school. Like my family was adamant about me going to school and my biggest thing was I wanted to just get out of there. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go somewhere. You know, I, I wanted to be out of Joplin, Missouri. And uh, so that's when, uh, uh, yeah, I ended up going to Louisiana. I went to college in Louisiana. 
Um, there was a, a time my sophomore year in college, I almost dropped out for a moment and joined the military because, you know, first year was easy. That second year, you know, it's kind of getting super stressed out. And I'm like, man, I'm broke. Uh, you know, I had friends back home who didn't go to college. They went straight to work and they're actually making money. I had some friends who did join the military. They're making money. But here I am. I'm a broke college student. I still can't. The end is not in sight. You know, it's like I'm not deep enough into it. So I was thinking about joining my sophomore year of college. Went home. Came back after that summer. Same thing. Parents were like, yo, you need to finish school. Finish school. So uh, I ended up sticking it out. And uh, I finished up. And, and obviously, it was a great decision to do so. Um, but yeah, then I, I went back home uh, for three years. I was, I was doing strength and conditioning with high school students. I was substitute teaching. Uh, I worked for the city of Joplin. Uh, I did have a few different jobs, but none of them were fulfilling me. I, I take that back. The, the personal training with the high school kids was very fulfilling. Uh, honestly, it was the thing that kept me there for three years because my kids that I started with for my junior year in college, uh, I got to see them through and see them graduate. Uh, but that was the only thing that kept me there. And, and at that point, it was like, yo, it's, it's now or never. I got to do something. I got to get out of here. And uh, that's when the Air Force, like that idea came back in my head. I was like, I'm 26, no kids. I'm not married. What better time to go to the Air Force? Like it's now or never. If I don't do it now, I'll be that guy that, oh yeah, I thought about joining the military, but I never did, you know? Now, was, was ROTC, R-O-T-C, was that ever a thought? <laughs> it's funny you ask. So I did, I, uh, Grambling didn't offer Air Force ROTC. They offered Army ROTC, but I told you my loyalties lied with the Air Force. So like when they said they didn't have Air Force, I was like, I'm good on that. But they tried to get me to go to the Army ROTC, right? And uh, then uh, Louisiana Tech, which is three miles away from Grambling, they had uh, Air Force ROTC. So I actually went there for a week and went to ROTC. For a week? For one week. See, there was there's a few conflicting things there because – they have uh, Louisiana Tech. Obviously, I'd be dealing with different schools, so I was going to have to take a class. I was going to have to take a class at Tech, uh, enroll and take at least one class to do their ROTC program. And then also, they were on a quarter system, and we were on a semester system. So, like, their breaks were completely different than ours. And I was thinking about, like, Christmas breaks and summers. Like, it was going to mess up myself. I was like, oh, I'm not feeling this. And then, to be completely honest, I went to the ROTC class and there was a lot of cats in there that I had nothing in common with. And the stuff that they were talking about, I was just like, oh my goodness, these dudes are geeks. <laughs> I mean, just straight up. They were like, they were the nerdiest of the nerds. And, and uh, at that time, you know, being, you know, college, you're not, I wasn't completely mature enough to just be like, yo, this is the best decision for my life and for the future. You know, I was too caught up in and no, I want to hang with my boys and I want guys who, you know, want to play sports and stuff like me, you know, these dudes had no interest in that, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, looking back, it's kind of foolish. Like I wish I would have stuck that out and just did the ROTC program. But at that time I was like, nah, this isn't for me, you know? So that's early twenties, Kellen throwing shade at the Louisiana tech. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. You, you ended up coming in uh, enlisted and then, were there any challenges that you discovered when you got in? Because it's very shocking to, to most people, I'd say, coming in the military. My, my recruiter actually called me, uh, he, what did he say? Called me a unicorn. He was just like, here you are. He said, for our demographic, he was like, Joplin, you know, Southwest Missouri is 90% white, 
I don't even know what the percentages are in terms of people having college degrees, but it's not the most educated area, you know? But he was like, you are a black male with a college degree coming in the Air Force. He's like, that's coming enlisted. He was like, that's rare. We just don't have that, you know? And uh, the biggest thing for me to go in enlisted, the biggest incentive was broadcasting. That's what my, my degree was in broadcast journalism in college. So I was actually going to get to go in, guaranteed job, and go into a, a career field that I had experience in, a, a career field that I actually wanted. So I thought at the very minimum, at least when I get out, I can I will have had four years of broadcasting under my belt as opposed to the three years before that I was a college degree, a graduate, but I wasn't using my degree. So uh, I joined. Uh, we had the tornado in 2011. I left three weeks later for basic training. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was honestly, it was, it was a tough decision in that even in basic, my, my uh, TI, he made a comment to me. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, your, your recruiter screwed you over, man. You have a college degree. You shouldn't be here right now. You should be going to OTS. You need to be an officer. And at the time, like when you hear stuff like that, you know, you start having some things, like some feelings. And even once I joined, I had, you know, supervisors and people that were over me that were younger than me you know and obviously they joined sooner than I did so that was one thing but it was like they hadn't gone to college they hadn't so there were some things there were some personal battles that I had with myself because you're looking at it like oh I'm older than you and more educated than you how how can you be over me you know but it was humbling and it was honestly one of the best things for me not that I necessarily I needed it per se but to some degree, I did, you know, to some degree. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about other people uh, with that experience alone. Like I thought before that you would never be able to tell me there's somebody that's four years younger than me that I'm gonna learn something from him. I'm like, you're the same age as my brother, you know? You're not, I'm not gonna learn anything from you, but I did. I had some people that were younger than me and I learned a lot from them. And I, I realized like that, that mentality that I was going into it with, uh, that's flawed, you know? And if you think that way, if you, you, there's always something to learn from, from everyone no matter what their age is, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of that is something you only find in that kind of uh, environment, that military chain and uh, atmosphere is just so diverse. If you just open your eyes and your mind, you'll learn from anybody around you. Absolutely. Literally. And it's not always the best stuff. Some of that stuff you're just going to want to forget immediately. But <laughs> for the most part, you know, you just you think about it, let it soak in, and it's it's a good thing that you won't find in most of these uh, civilian workforces that I've seen so far. Right. right. I can agree with that. I'll make you think real quick, uh, any memorable moments that really made your wheels turn in that career you had? Oh man, there's there so many. Um, I don't even know where to start. Honestly, if I get really specific, just being a broadcaster, um, being a radio DJ in particular, uh, it, I had a unique position in that here I was in, in E3, E4, you know, doing interviews with generals, you know, one, two, three-star generals, you know, and regularly, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, weekly, uh, yeah. Weekly, right? So it, it got to a point where it was like, you know, most people, you know, you, you, you're talking to a three-star general, you know, you're like, kind of clamming up, you know, and, and that's the thing civilians will never understand about the, the military environment. Like that is a added pressure, just seeing some stars and bars on somebody's sleeve, 
you know, and all of a sudden you're like, you perk up, you know, and, and you get this a little anxiety even. But, um, you know, I was doing it so frequently that I got really lax, you know, like to the point where I had these relationships with these individuals and, and I could talk to them in a way that most A1Cs and senior airmen couldn't. You know, I, I had one individual, like literally uh, a high ranking, he was, you know, high ranking uh, enlisted individual. He told me straight up, he's like, you're the, he said, you are the most powerful E4 in Japan. <laughs> and I like, at that time, I didn't understand what that meant, but he was just, and he wouldn't mean like, I literally had power, like I could make something happen by no means. He was just saying in terms of the, the, the people you're regularly rubbing shoulders with, the connections you're making, you know, like it, you're in a very good place. Like most of the people in that they'd be in, in this individual's unit and maybe talk to that person maybe once, you know, if, if oh, that, you know, at all. And here I was, I was talking to them regularly on and off air. So, uh, that in itself was, it was quite an experience. Um, uh, obviously Afghanistan was another experience, you know, being an airman, um, and going in, I was, you know, in an army unit, uh, you know, we're individual augmentees. So it's not like, you know, army or Marines or something that we go there with a bunch of people that we know we go there and we're just putting a unit and we don't know anybody. We're meeting a bunch of new people. Um, but uh, you know, being in an, an army environment, you know, and when you go out on uh, convoys to shoot stories and stuff. And, and I, a lot of the army guys, they'd be like, you got voluntold to do this, didn't you? I'm like, no, actually I volunteered for this one. Cause the way we did it, my supervisor at the time when I was in Afghanistan, he'd tell us, Hey, you know, PA over here is calling us. PA over here is calling us. Like, you know, where do you guys want to go? You know, he was very cool about that in terms of, you know, he didn't just, he wasn't just going to be like, Hey, this story's here in a bad area. You go, you know what I'm saying? He didn't want to do you like that. He wanted people to kind of volunteer for their, you know, their areas and their tasks. And, uh, and that was cool. I appreciated that. And he was also good about letting us seek them out ourselves. Um, but yeah, there was a lot that, you know, there was one that I did up in Kunduz province. It was the Northern territory. It was the last Taliban stronghold. And it was one I, I was like, okay, this could be interesting because they had some, some action more recently, you know, and not that I was going there like gung ho, like, Oh, I want to be in the middle of something, but it was more of a, like, you know what, if I'm here, I might as well get this experience, you know, whatever that is, you know, um, and every day is different. It's not, no two days are the same there. So, uh, but I went there and, uh, went, stayed on a cop, cop kill a guy far North. And it was, uh, it was interesting, man. I mean, just live with amongst the army dudes. And it, it was cool because I definitely got their respect for doing that, you know, out there for a week. Um, but it was also just for my own for myself, like it just, it opened me up to so many things and it changed my perspective in that these little things that I tend to stress about here, they are, these guys are out here living out here. This is, they do this every day. They're not doing it for a week. You know, they're there for six months. They're there for a year, you know? Yeah. And it's probably not their first time for a lot of those guys. No, not at all. Several of those guys were on two, three, four, five deployments, you know, had, and, and, and again, younger than me, you know? Here I was, I was 26, 27, you know, 28 years old, and they were, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, and they'd already been on several deployments, you know? So uh, th that in itself, man, they, they had to, in some ways, I, I see how service members, they're forced to grow up fast, um, and in other ways, you know, not so fast. So A lot of development, a lot of uh, very memorable experiences. Four years in Japan, morning show DJ, you got your deployment in. That's a lot of opportunity. 
So when did you actually realize you wanted to separate and move on from uh, from the Air Force? Ooh, you know, it was probably about the, the two-year mark. It was a two, three-year mark is whenever I said, I just got back from Afghanistan. I took a trip to Bali, uh, went there by myself, had the time of my life. Uh, you know, I'd already been to Guam, um, I had went to Shanghai. Like, I'd done some traveling, you know, and I was really hitting up the Pacific, just trying to take, make the most of it. And I told myself, I was like, man, you know, when it's time to leave here, you know, I'm not going to be, they're going to send me somewhere else. You know, uh, I'm not going to be in, I'm not going to get to stay in Tokyo, Japan, my whole career. Now, if they could guarantee me, I could get 20 years and I could do it in Tokyo, Japan, and I can make deployments every now and then or whatever, go wherever they needed me to go. I'd be down for that. I would have stayed in 20 years, but just knowing that, you know, my next unit or my next location, uh, it wouldn't be Tokyo. Like it'd be where, you know, I have that dream sheet, but it not necessarily have any too much control over it. That in itself kind of started hitting me, that realization. And I didn't want to get burnt out. You know, I had a great time. I had a great, my, my four years, like joining was the best decision for me. Um, and then getting out was the second best decision because I was ready to, to move on to the next chapter of my life. Yeah, I, I totally understand that because I knew when I left Japan after those four years that that was going to be it for me. I was moving on to my final base for my last year. And uh, when I got to that last base, they're a good fellow in in San Angelo, Texas. I was like, yeah, I, I couldn't do like three, four years here. Right. And the, the problem I was seeing was a lot of these first term airmen were there, not experiencing, you know, not knowing what it was like to be overseas and be on these deployments. They were there. One guy was there for four or five years on his first term. Wow. I think he's still waiting to leave. That's just not the experience that you want to have. So I understand those guys who are not going to give it a chance or they are, and they're just hoping for something better to come along and fighting through the misery right now. I've realized too, there, there are like two different types of people though. You have the people who they, they need to be cast out there like far away and just go experience it and then come to that realization. Like, wow, this is dope. Like, this is, this is cool. I'm glad I had this opportunity. And there's other people that they need to start slow or closer to home and then maybe they'll venture out. Um, and you have to kind of figure out which person you are, but you know, two things can happen. You can, you can get cast out there. You can get a first term airman who gets cast out in Japan and the culture is so different to them. It's so that they're, they're culture shock. They don't end up leaving base they're, uh, Cause I saw a lot of that kids in Japan. They didn't leave base. So their, their biz, biggest experience and the most fun thing they did was either playing video games in each other's dorm rooms or going to the E-Club, but they didn't get out and actually go experience Japan and experience the culture um, for that, you know, language barrier or whatever the case may be. So they'd be like, oh, this place sucks, you know, and I felt bad for them because I'm like, man, if you just stepped out of there and just opened up your mind, like this would blow your mind. Yeah. It's way different than America. And that's what makes it beautiful is it's something completely different. And how many, I always thought to myself, I'm like, I had all these surreal moments where I'd be like, dude, I'm from Joplin, Missouri. And here I am in Tokyo, Japan. And I had that up until the day I left, like anytime I was outside of base, like I was just like, I'm in Tokyo, Japan. I live here all the time, you know, and it was a great experience and I'm so thankful for it. And, and honestly, it, what set me up for it initially was just leaving going to college in Louisiana, getting away initially, because that was hard. I got homesick a lot. I drove home probably once a month. It was a seven-hour drive, and I'd make that drive all the time. 
had I gone any further and I couldn't have gone home at least once a month, I probably would have just ended up moving back home, you know? If I went to like New York or California and I was so far away, I could only go home like twice a year, I'd probably gotten so homesick that I never would have, you know, I just come back home and just stayed in my in my little bubble. Uh, I feel like we have a lot of people that do that. You just stay in your bubble. But the biggest thing with the military is this is your one opportunity to go live in another country free. Like you're, it's on the military's dime. They're paying you to be there. They're paying you to live there. And you get to go out and experience another culture. Uh, there's nothing quite like that experience. At least until 11 o'clock at night these days. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Which I got to, uh, you know, water down the experience a little bit occasionally. Uh, but still, <laughs> at, at that point, you were looking at getting out. But did you ever think for one second about commissioning at that point? I mean, because you can still put a package in. And I know that's a tough right. course to take, but. That thought, that thought definitely crossed my mind. Um, but again, it went back to, you know, I'm going to get moved around. And, and even if I commission, like, I'm not going to be a broadcaster anymore. You know, I, for me, the important thing was being a broadcaster, being involved. Like, I didn't want to be managing people. Not that, not that I don't like the idea or not that I'm not capable of leading and managing. I, I definitely think I could, I definitely could be in those positions and thrive. But for me personally, I loved being a broadcaster. I loved being a, a, a radio DJ. I loved being a, a reporter. I loved, I loved that. You know, I loved that aspect of the job. And that wasn't going to be offered to me on the, uh, the commission side. So then you start your transition process. And how was that process, getting the job that you landed, that you're in now? So I, I got the job that I'm in now uh, through a friend once I got out of the military. He's like, hey, our company is very, uh, they, they like vets. You have your college, you have your college degree and they like veterans, you know, that was how I got the job. But, uh, as far as the, the transition period, like leaving the military, you know, they, the air force offers you taps, um, which there's some tools to be used in there. But at the same time, I feel like the most valuable tool that I got was other, other veterans who got out and, and, and the experiences they had and the stories they told me and the things that they went through. That was the most valuable tool because uh, I, I feel like the tax program, it could be updated. It could be uh, better modified yeah. and not to, not to talk down on it. Um, Tap but, in the transition assistance program, which they're, they're constantly modifying that uh, I believe based on, you know, the feedback that we provide them as we're getting out. And it, the thing about that is it varies from base to base, depending on who's teaching it, what their experiences are. Some questions you might have they don't have the answers to right it it's definitely a good place to to start right and then you know what and maybe that's our job too as veterans now maybe you know should take it upon ourselves to reach back to those bases or to those taps programs and say hey if you ever need a reference if you ever need someone um for anything any kind of information you have an airman that needs someone to talk to they're thinking about getting out you know here's my information feel free to contact me because Again, that was the most valuable tool for me personally was just talking to others who had transitioned out. I got more from that than I did from the class. And again, like you said, it's nothing against that class, nothing against uh, the TAPS class. It was just not everybody's situation was similar to mine who had gotten out. So I needed to, to talk to people who, who were going through something similar. Networking. I'd, I'd still say networking is the number one tool for, for anybody. Know somebody, talk to people you'll land somewhere. That's what I think. Uh, so the job that you have, yes, they like college degrees, they like veterans, but do you think that you were prepared with anything in your resume 
that you'd picked up along the way? Uh, I'd say for what I do, basically, uh, you know, I'm an account manager, you know, so what I'm dealing with uh, customers on a daily basis. And I'd say uh, with my background in the military is basically um, just what we're talking about, the networking, the socializing, the connecting. You're meeting so many people from so many different backgrounds constantly. I was doing that in the military and I'm doing that now with this job. And uh, I'd say that was the biggest experience I had from that. Um, other than that, there's nothing remotely similar, uh, but it is, it is good when you're dealing with people from just all different walks of life and just trying to find some common ground so you can have a good business relationship with them. Uh, that was the one thing I definitely developed while I was in the military. Would you have considered any guard or reserve? I did. I considered it. And, uh, I, I, I you know, for me personally, like I can understand why some people would, I had some. Uh, some disability on the way out. So I was, I get, you know, veteran benefits, right? So I have medical insurance through the military. Now I can understand, like, if you come out, you don't have anything at all. You know, you need some insurance, like guard or reserve might be a good, you know, option because you keep, you know, you keep your, uh, you keep some of those medical benefits, which is important at this time, you know, but I didn't need that. At the same time, the guard or reserve for me, it's like, I'm an all or nothing type of person. So if I'm going to do something, I'm going to be all in. And I, I felt like guard or reserve, it was just like, I don't want to be putting, you know, putting in time. I'm working a civilian job. And then, you know, one week in a month, two weeks a year, I got to go over here and I got to put the uniform on and I got to do this again. I didn't want to be doing that, snapping out of that. You know, I, I just, it's like, I'm either active or I'm all, I'm all the way in or I'm all the way out. And that's just for me personally, that's what works best for me, for my personality, just who I am as a person. I know that about myself. Uh, I'm not good at doing the the kind of bobbling, you know, going back and forth between the two. No, I, I get that. But looking back at everything you've done since you came in, since you talked to that recruiter, uh, is there anything you would have done differently? You're, you're probably not a big regrets guy, but anything you could have you could have done differently? No, you're absolutely right. I, I'm not a big regrets guy. I, I feel like everything happens for a reason. And uh I guess if I could do something differently, I think, you know what, I would have just go, gone ahead and put in a packet to, you know, commission, just tried it, you know, um, at the time I was just ready to go. And they were telling me, they talked to me about how long it would take and how it's a process and you might get it rejected and this and that, that was discouraging to me. Um, but that's also coming from an enlisted recruiter. So they're there to get you, you know, recruited on the enlisted side. You know, so I, I wish I would have just gone ahead, tried to put in a packet. Um, I would, I would like to see what it had been from that that side. Um, I, I think I, you know, I, I'm not to try to toot my own horn or whatever, but I think I would have been a good officer, and and I would have liked to have been in that position to to have tried that, especially after doing the enlisted side and seeing what it takes to be a good leader, uh, seeing some good examples, some great examples of good leaders, and then also seeing some really bad examples of leadership. You know, you learn from you. That's the thing I learned with the military. There's always a lesson to be learned. You either learn what to do or you learn what not to do. Uh, and that's that's the thing. I was constantly learning lessons from people of various roles and various titles uh, throughout the military. So uh, that's probably the one thing I had done differently. Just taking that degree, gone commission and uh, and just seeing where that took me from there. You know, because yeah, I think you're, you're totally right. The. Uh... Regardless of what capacity you served in, I think that the Air Force would have been happy to have you in any of those positions. They would have used you in a very uh, 
advantageous way, I think, and it would have benefited everybody just knowing you and who you are and, and how you operate. But it would have been a very different life to see, I'm sure. So. No, it definitely would have. It definitely would have been different. Uh, I, it would have taken some time to get used to, like, just the way, like, and, and you know what I mean, right? With like officers almost treated like gods, you know. I mean, they just. I just remember so many times, you know, you'd be walking by, and I'm, and I say this for myself too, and not that I, you look at them not like a god, but it's like you know that they command this respect. So it's like, boom, you're popping to attention. Like that would have taken a long time for me to get used to being even in in that position, just just knowing because in my head I'd be like, I'm just the type where it's like, even if I'm in a, a position above you, I still like, you know. You get to get respect, you got to give respect. So I'm going to give you proper respect, you know, just like any other human being, man. Like we put our pants on the same way. And I know I met some great leaders who were very, who were higher up and, and, and they had that same philosophy. They had that same mindset. Obviously they did, the, you know, they rendered the customs and courtesies just like everyone else. But uh, that was the one thing I did learn, man. So the, the best leaders were the ones who realized like, hey, I'm not going to treat you. I'm not going to talk down to you, you know, I'm going to treat you with with the same type of respect. So, but yeah, I, I would have definitely liked to have seen that side and uh, just, it, it, but it had been an adjustment for sure. Yeah. But I'm telling you, you you'd make a great uh, prior enlisted officer. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, but what would you tell somebody who's considering enlisting uh, might be on the fence or even about getting out who's not sure just what to do because the opportunities are endless, you know? Right. So the per- to the person going in, the bit, the thing I would say to them is, and we're we talking Air Force in general? Uh, yeah, from your experience. Okay, from my experience, again, from my experience, Air Force in general, uh, do it, you know? If you're thinking about it, if you've been thinking about it, just do it. Uh, again, joining the Air Force was the best decision I made. I mean, literally, it, it for so many different reasons, you know, uh, it, it was a great decision. And, and I, what I tell people, you know, getting out was the second best decision I made because I got out in like my four years. I, I love it. Like, I don't have this. Don't get me wrong. There was bad moments in there. Then it's like with any job or anything, you know, you're going to have bad moments. There's some bad times in there, but Overall, when I look back at that experience, man, I, like my mind is blown. I did things that I never would have imagined doing. I saw places that I never would have imagined seeing. I worked with some people that I'll be friends with. I mean, like right now, like I'll be in contact with for the rest of my life. I made friends and connections that I have the rest of my life. I made bonds that are even stronger than bonds that I have with people that I've known my entire life. And I made them in a short period of time, you know? And so it's it's amazing how that works. So if you're, if, if a person who's on the fence I tell them, do it because you won't regret it. People that do regret it are typically people, it's either the people around them, they just got bad luck and they just were surrounded by not very good people. Or you got to take a look inside at yourself and be like, wow, maybe my personality, maybe there's something that I need to change about myself because I'm creating this negative experience. You know, that's the only people who are going to have truly bad experiences like the whole time Um, you know, unless you just get like, you know, cannon or something. I don't know how in the middle of New Mexico. But uh, <laughs> um, overall, though, I, I, uh, the person that, that's thinking about it, I, like I said, I just, my biggest regret, honestly, was not joining sooner. I wish I wouldn't have waited till I was 26. You know, had I not waited till I was 26, maybe I'd have stayed in longer. 
maybe not, you know, but uh, I wish I, I wish I would have joined sooner. And then the person who's, who's thinking about getting out, you know, don't stay in just because, you know, you can stay in and for 20 years and then you can, you know, retire. That's not a good enough incentive to stay in. If you're at the eight year mark, you have 12 years left before you get out, right? Even if you're at the 10 year mark and 10 years left before you get out, some people are like, well, but I'll be 38 and I can retire. Yeah, that's fine and dandy. But who really stops working at 38? You know what I'm saying? Everybody go, you go work somewhere. Now it's nice to have that retirement on top of working somewhere else. But at the same time, it's like, if you're going to spend 10 years of your life, if you're actually, if you're, if you're thinking about getting out because you're miserable or you don't like your job or you don't, you know, like your unit or whatever the case may be, if you're thinking about getting out, really think it over long and hard, but understand too, man, time is the most precious gift that we have. Our life, our time is the most precious gift we have. So if you're going to spend the next however many years, I don't care if it's even three years, if you go 17 years and you're miserable and you got to think three more years until I can retire. For me personally, my time is precious. So I don't care how much, how long it is. I'm just going to, I'm going to get out. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to do something different because I don't want to have this regret of I spent this many years stressed out or hating this or not liking this or unhappy. And I wasted that many years of my life, you know? So, uh, yeah, if, if you're on the fence about that, it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's like, it's, here's the fence, man. Just, you got to jump off the fence, pick a side and just roll with it. Don't turn around. Don't look back. Just go. Because it is a hard thing. You can't, you know, just kind of look into the future and see what it might be like on either side. So you really do have to make that jump, which is understandably very hard for people. And I got out at 11 and a half years, you know, and, uh, that's the same reason I did it. I was like, I've got plenty of time to, uh, it's like the perfect time to establish a civilian career. And I can't do this active duty for another eight plus years. Before I actually turned in my paperwork, I asked my dad a question who did 22 years in the Air Force. He retired as a master sergeant. I was like, so looking back, was it worth staying in for those 22 years? I think it was a text message I sent him. I had those ellipses up for a little bit, waiting to hear back from him. And he said, TRICARE is nice, but it's hard to say, you know, if it was really worth it. Right. And you've seen those people who are 15, 17 year tech sergeants, master sergeants, and they're just trying to make it past that wall, you know, that they hit to get to the end. Some people love it. It is one of those things you got to look inside yourself and sort of predict what you're going to look like in those 15 years. I honestly, man, I, I like to look at life like all of us, we're all authors, right? We're all writing a story right now. Every one of us, we're all writing a story. This is our book. Our book is called Life, you know, and you got to write often and you got to edit well. You choose how it's going to end, you know, how it's going to end up. We pick the outcome, you know, there are some things that are beyond our control. There are going to be things in there that are beyond our control, but for the most part, we choose the outcome and whether it's a happy story or whether it's a sad or a bad story. And I think that's part of it, man. Don't, don't waste your time. You know, there, there are times where the military is, it can be great for you. It, and it can be a, a phenomenal tool and a nice stepping stone. And then, like you said, there's other people who they just fall in line and they can do 20 years and coast on the way out. But you have to figure out, I'm not going to say early on, but you need to, you need to, you know, constantly be thinking about, can I handle this? Can I handle this lifestyle? 
you know, if the things change, if I get married, if I have kids, you know, will I have a good relationship? Will it, you know, create a conducive environment that I want to live in, that I want to create? You have to think about those things. Now, the thing for me, I don't have any kids. I'm not married. But I did realize the longer I'm in active duty, the harder it's going to be for me to do those things. Not that you see people get married all the time. You see people have kids all the time. But I know for myself, I was dating a girl who was back in the States and I didn't want to marry her. I'd been with her for years, but I refused to marry her based off the fact that I was super lonely. You know, not that we hadn't been together. We'd been together before I joined the military. We'd been together four or five years. So it wasn't that we hadn't been together long enough. It was just like I knew how lonely I was, but I was also very stressed. I didn't want to bring her into that environment of the loneliness and the stress. And then here, if I deploy, she's in, you know, she's in Japan without me. So now she's lonely, you know, missing her family. And she's, Mm -hmm. you know, contemplating her life. Like, wow, I moved all the way over here to be with this person, but yet they're working all the time or they're gone all the time. And here I am, I'm living their life. I'm living their dream, you know, and that can potentially ruin. I mean, not potentially it ruins relationships all the time. It's no secret that there's a high divorce rate in the military much like any other jobs that are high stress and high, you know, uh, lots of pressure. So, so write often and edit well, right. The book of life, huh? Right. And that's why, that's why I love you. So you, <laughs> you've always had this coaching and mentor kind of mentality. Is there anything that you're doing now to keep that alive? You know, it's good that you asked me that because, uh, for a while there, I wasn't. And I was beginning to kind of lose myself because I, I was feeling like, man, what am I doing? I need to get involved in my community. I need to get involved with the youth. I need to do something, right? So it started first with uh, there's a baseball team, Thurston High School. Uh, I have a buddy who's a, the coach of the baseball team. He heard about my background in, in um, strength and conditioning. So he asked me if I train his, 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 uh, his kids. So I, I started doing that. Uh, we do that in the fall, winter time frame uh, at the University of Oregon, because I live here in Eugene, Oregon. So the University of Oregon, they have a group called Black Male Alliance, and it's black college students, obviously males, all guys. They get together. Basically, uh, they're, they're all coming from different backgrounds, from all these different areas, but they're here in Oregon. Uh, there's only a few of them. Some of them are from Portland, but most of them are from Florida and California and all these different places. And this is a culture shock to them, you know? So... I go there and, uh, you know, I, t- I talk with him. We go once a week. We meet up on Thursday evenings. Uh, we meet up and we just talk about, you know, what they're going through. They talk about the stress and pressure that they're feeling. They're talking about uh, the things that they're dealing with back in their home life. You know, we have a couple guys who, you know, one guy, his dad just got out of prison. You know, he doesn't have much of a relationship with his father. So we talk about these things. You know, we, we encourage them to be vocal. You know, everybody especially, you know, males and military and everything, like you're, you're encouraged, you know, be tough. Don't talk about feelings and emotions, blah, blah, blah. But then guess what? We have a really high suicide rate. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact men in particular, and in black men, if you want to even take it a step further, have a hard time talking about issues, talking about feelings, talking about emotions, you know, and we got to figure out a way to get people to talk. And I'm not talking about, you know, we want you crying and sobbing and stuff all the time like that. But it's just literally like, let's talk through our feelings. Let's talk through our emotions, man. I've, I've dealt with a, a lot of loss in my life over the course of my life. You know, I had one of my best friends from high school. You know, he died at 19 in a motorcycle wreck. You know, I, I dealt with that early on. Had another friend die in a car wreck. I've had friends 
uh, suicide. I've had overdoses. I've, I've, I've had a lot of friends die. Like literally at the age of 21, my mom told me she was 42 at the time. She said, Kellen, I've been to more of your friends' funerals than I've been to my own friends' funerals. Jeez. My mother told me this, you know, when I was 21 years old. And that was at my best friend Dallas's funeral. But then, you know, within the last two years, I had my childhood best friend was murdered. My grandmother uh, died. Then my uncle died. And then just recently, my father dad died, you know, so just within the last couple months. Um, so I've been dealing with these things. And, and the first thing I do with these young these young men is I talk about things that I went through. I tell I tell them about the hurt, the pain, the emotions that I went through. I talk about the loneliness I felt when I first moved to Japan and I was completely away from it. Actually, initially in college, that loneliness, but I was I was close enough to still go home every now and then. But then in Japan and then Afghanistan, and I talk about those dark periods and not in a woe is me, I'm playing the victim type of a manner. It's just more of a, hey, we all experience this. Even the strongest people that you you know, they're going through it. You know, some people just like to hide it, but we need to talk about it because we need to have this understanding so people realize like the way you feel, we've all felt it, we've all been there, and we all got through it. And the only way we can get through it is to go through it. Yeah, you know, you said something that made me think of a post I saw just the other day from uh, this group, Project Connect Four, and they said that for every 100 female suicides, there's 433 male suicides. Wow, wow. Which is more than four right. times, you know? It's pretty staggering numbers right there. So definitely very important work, and it's it's great that you can get out there as a veteran and talk to these kids who are going through the same thing that you've been through from growing up to even now. Hopefully that stuff is uh, is helping them out. Do you get to see any of that? Any success right before your eyes? Well, the, the biggest success that I've noticed before my eyes is, Mike, we're in a class, and there's you know, 20, 30 of us, depending on the week. And uh, what I've seen is the more I talk, the more the rest of these guys talk. The more I share, the more the rest of these guys share. Uh, when we did our first, I, you know, this is my second year doing it, but this year we had, you know, a, a, a larger group of new guys. And I noticed the first time we went around, everybody goes around, we do an introduction kind of quick, you know, where you're from, what you like, kind of hobbies and interests type of thing, right? Everybody went around, right? And everybody was, was like, you know, most of the younger guys, they're all like, oh, my name is, you know, Derek. I'm from California. I like to play basketball. And then the next person would talk and they do the same thing, right? So I made sure that first time around when it came to me, I, you know, I went into it. I didn't just like, I didn't just say, hey, I'm Kellen, uh, Air Force veteran, graduated from Grandma State University, uh, living here in Eugene now. No, I was like, you know, uh, my story is no more significant than anybody else in this room. But I feel like in order for, you know, the best way for me to get to know you guys is for you to get to know me. So, you know, I went into things. I was like, yo, I went to college as a broadcaster, you know, and I didn't broadcast. I didn't do any broadcasting job for three years. And I talked to them about the emotional things that I went through on the way. Right. But I, I kind of kept it condensed because I didn't want to give them too much initially. So then that second time we went back around and they were like, all right, so now you guys gave a little bit. So let's give a little more. So same kind of thing. Everybody kind of gave a little bit. So that next time when it came to me, that's when I just really dug into it. And I was talking to them about, I lost my father last month. That seems like it has nothing to do with anything. But I said, but it has everything to do with it. Because my dad died at 57 years old. 
you know, and, and part of that was the fact that my dad was, he had high blood pressure, which stems from genetics for one, but part of it is, you know, eating fried foods and stuff. And, and on top of that, you know, my dad was a former drug addict. That's not something that everybody is willing to talk about or willing to admit, you know, like, and we all have all these kind of problems going on in our family. And like, my dad was a functioning addict. It wasn't like he was out on the street corner type of addict. He worked every day. You know, he did, he was responsible, you know, he did his, took care of his stuff that he was supposed to, you know, but he was an addict nonetheless, you know? Um, and that's not something that a lot of people or everybody knew about my father, you know, but it's something that I'm not scared to talk about. And I know he wasn't because he was able to get through it, you know? Um, but my dad was, he was an addict. He, he internalized all of his, his pain, anything that he felt throughout the course of life. Like he internalized everything. He wouldn't, you weren't going to get much from him, you know? And so that was the thing that really bothered me and my dad, like his fantasy football team was called stress level. That was the name of his, his foot football team, you know? And it's funny because my dad was a funny guy, you know, and like most people who are, are funny people, like they're usually hiding a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. My dad would, you know, he could be the life of the party. And then he could also just sit there and be really, really quiet because he just take everything in, you know, but he took too much in, you know, and I, and I wish like going back, I wish I could have these conversations with my dad. I wish I could have gotten him to, to talk about some of the things and not stress so much. And then also just go to the doctor. And that's another thing I talk to people about. It's we as males got to quit. Like we have these aches, we have these pains and we have something bothering us and we don't want to go get it looked at until it's like too late, you know? Oh yeah. We got to stop that, man. The reason why women are healthier is because women will cry and talk about their emotions. They'll get all that crap out. Even though we don't want to hear it, they get it out, you know? So like they may seem like they're more tense or whatever, but really they're not as because they're getting that stuff out. And then on top of that, they're going monthly for checks or, or yearly at least for checks, for different types of checks that females go for. Whereas men, you know, we, we think we got to wait till we're 40 or 50 to go get our prostate checked and that's it, you know. Uh, but these are things that need to be talked about. Um, and these are things that since my father passed, like it's really hit me and, and it's stuff that I'll, I'll be sure to talk about and I'm going to spread that information uh, because, you know, we're not going to live forever. None of us are getting out of this alive, but at the same time, like we need to maximize our time here on earth, man. I mean, cause again, it's, it's a present man. And in these relationships, like once you're gone, this is, this is the stuff that lives on these, these relationships, these memories uh, that we create, you know, these experiences that we have with one another, that's the stuff that lives on. So why not like try to create as much of this and, and have as much of this as we possibly can. Yeah, and we've shared a lot of experience here tonight, and I really appreciate that. Um, you bring a lot to the table. Is there anything else that we should talk about before we wrap up? No, man, honestly, I, I'm just glad you reached out to me and, and had this conversation about this project, man. Uh, I know this is something that you kind of, you've thought about doing for a long time. And uh, I, I got to say, for me personally, to see you, you got out of the military after I did, and but you stayed in the journalism, you know, you stayed in, in broadcasting to some capacity. And I, I feel like that's so dope, man. Like you're, you're still chasing your dreams and that's what life's about, man. Like don't ever give up on your dreams. Like as long as you have breath in your lungs, you know, as long as you have air in your lungs, like you need to go out there and chase your dream. Cause other than that, I mean, if you stop, if you stop chasing, if you stop believing, you know, you, you stop living. So I love to see veteran get out 
and here you are, you're successful. You and, and I say successful in that you are doing what you absolutely want to do. And you know, maybe you're not exactly where you want to be, but with that determination, with the with everything that you have, you'll get there if you really want it. You know, and I think that's a, a shining example to set to people, man. Like I said, you're inspiring me. It got me thinking about all these projects that I've talked about and all these projects that I'm supposed to start and supposed to do that I haven't done. And it's only been because I haven't been writing often enough and I haven't been editing well enough. So you're inspiring me to get keep it moving, man. So uh, like I said, I appreciate you having me on and being a part of this. Yeah, like I said, you're the first person to come to mind. I mean, and it's it's turned out well. I've had a great conversation. I've enjoyed listening to everything you've had to say. And I, I think other people will too. I'm hoping with this this project, it's it's definitely not about me and what I'm doing, but it's just getting our veterans like stories out to anybody who's you know like we were talking about earlier on the fence about what to do with their next steps. You've definitely got the right idea behind it, man. And as far as those projects, you just got to do it. Just right. Don't even think about it. Just do it. Right. Make those uh, necessary steps. It's like getting out. You know, right. that was a jump. You were, you were all or nothing with that. Right. Thanks for coming on. It's good to see you. Hey, you too, brother. Absolutely. See, you're, you're pushing that headband back with like, the LeBron <laughs> style there. Uh, yeah. Headband <laughs> is going back a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> see what I mean? He's a heck of a guy. Resilient. And uh, he's been through a lot and he doesn't hold back when he's sharing his wisdom at all. So just to recap a little bit, you've got a network, folks. There's no better way to set yourself up for success than networking yourself, getting out there, talking to people, talking to people who know people, and uh, expressing what you want to do. Just tell people what you want to do in life, and uh, you'll get there. Also, whatever decision you are leaning toward, consider your options and make the jump. Because the more you sit on something, the more you're just going to drive yourself crazy. But you got to make that informed decision uh, on your own terms. And with Kellen, he's an all or nothing kind of guy, which speaks to his loyalty trait. So you can definitely follow that kind of advice. But with me, I don't mind balancing. That, that's fine. If you're splitting from active duty, again, consider your options. Look into what the guard or reserve uh, can offer you. So you, those could be good options for you. But in the words of Kellen Carr, write often and edit well. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by myself and whoever the guest is. So I appreciate Kellen for donating his time and his story. I'm working on the guest list for the next several shows, so check out Facebook and Twitter for updates. Just search Boots Off Podcast. And if you have guest recommendations, you can also let me know there. Also, feel free to rate the podcast five stars. That's what gets our message out to more people. So thanks again, and take care.